Part four of Far Above Rubies by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. His reception by what is called the public was by no means so remarkable or triumphant as to give his well-wishers any ground for anxiety as to its possible moral effect upon him. But it was a great joy to him that his father was much interested and delighted in the reception of the poem by the reviews in general. He was so much gratified, indeed, that he immediately wrote to him, stating his intention of supplementing his income by half as much more. This reflected opinion of others wrought also to the mollifying of his mother's feelings toward him, but those with which she regarded Annie they only served to indurate, as the more revealing the girl's unworthiness of him. And although, at first, she regarded with favor her husband's kind intention toward Hector, she faced entirely round when he showed her a letter he had from his son, thanking him for his generosity, and communicating his intention of begging Annie to come to him and be married at once. Annie was living at home, feeding on Hector's letters, and strengthened by her mother's sympathy. She was teaching regularly at the high school, and adding a little to their common income by giving a few music lessons, as well as employing her needle in a certain kind of embroidery a good deal sought after, in which she excelled. She had heard nothing of his having begun to distinguish himself, neither had yet seen one of the reviews of his book, for no one had taken the trouble to show her any of them. One day, however, as she stood waiting a moment for something she wanted in the principal bookshop of the town, a little old lady, rather shabbily dressed, came in, whom she heard say to the shopman, in a gentle voice and with the loveliest smile, "'Have you another copy of this new poem by your townsman, young Mackintosh?' "'I am sorry I have not, ma'am,' answered the shopman. "'But I can get you one by return of post. "'Do, if you please, and send it to me at once. "'I am very glad to hear it promises to be a success. "'I am sure it quite deserves it. "'I have already read it through twice. "'You may remember you got me a copy the other day. "'I cannot help thinking it an altogether remarkable production, "'especially for so young a man.' "'He is quite young, I believe?' "'Yes, ma'am, to have already published a book. "'But as to any wonderful success, there is so little sale for poetry nowadays. "'I believe the one you had yourself, my lady, is the only one we've been asked for.' "'Much will depend,' said the lady, "'on whether it finds a channel of its own soon enough. "'But get me another copy, anyhow, and as soon as you can, please. "'I want to send it to my daughter.' There is matter between those Quaker-like boards that I have found nowhere else. I want my daughter to have it, and I cannot part with my own copy, concluded the old lady, and with the words she walked out of the shop, leaving Annie bewildered, and with the strange feeling of a surprise which yet she had been expecting. For what else but success could come to Hector? Had it not been drawing nearer and nearer all the time, and for a moment she seemed again to stand— a much younger child than now, amid the gusty whirling of the dead leaves about her feet, once more on the point of stooping to pick up what might prove a withered leaf, but was in reality a pound-note, the thing which had wrought her so much misery, and was now filling her cup of joy to the very brim. The book the old lady had talked of could be no other than Hector's book, no other than Hector could have written it. What a treasure there was in the world that she had never seen! How big was it? What was it like? She was sure to know it the moment her eyes fell upon it. But why had he never told her about it? 
He might have wanted to surprise her, but she was not the least surprised. She had known about it all the time. He had never talked about what he was writing, and still less would he talk of what he was going to write. Intentions were not worthy of his beautiful mouth. Perhaps he did not want her to read it yet. When he did, he would send her a copy. And, oh, when would her mother be able to read it? Was it a very dear book? There could be no thought of their buying it. Between them, she and her mother could not have shillings enough for that. When the right time came, he would send it. Then it would be twice as much hers as if she had bought it for herself. The next day she met Mr. and Mrs. Mackintosh, and the former actually congratulated her on what Hector had done, and what people thought of him for it. But the latter only gave a sniff. And the next post brought the book itself, and with it a petition from Hector that she would fix the day to join him in London. Annie made haste, therefore, to get ready the dress of white linen in which she meant to be married, and a lady, the sister of Hector's friend, meeting her in London. They were married the next day, and went together to Hector's humble lodgings in a northern suburb. Hector's new volume, larger somewhat, but made up of smaller poems, did not attract the same amount of attention as the former, and the result gave no encouragement to the publisher to make a third venture. One reason, possibly, was that the subjects of most of the poems, even the gayest of them, were serious, and another may have been that the common tribe of reviewers, searching like other parasites, discovered in them material for ridicule, which to them meant food, and as such they made use of it. At the same time he was not left without friends. Certain of his readers, who saw what he meant and cared to understand it, continued his readers, and his influence on such was slowly growing, while those that admired, feeling the power of his work, held by him the more when the scoffers at him grew insolent. Still, few copies were sold, and Hector found it well that he had other work and was not altogether dependent on his pen, which would have been simple starvation. And from the first, Annie was most careful in her expenditure. Among the simple people whom husband brought her to know, she speedily became a great favorite, and this circle widened more rapidly after she joined it. For her simple truths, which even to Hector had occasionally seemed somewhat overdriven, now revealed itself as the ground of her growing popularity. She welcomed all, was faithful to all, and sympathetic with all. Nor was it longer before her husband began to study her in order to understand her, and that the more that he could find in her neither plan nor system, nothing but straightforward, foldless simplicity nor did she ever come to believe less in the foreseeing care of God. She ceased, perhaps, to attribute so much to the ministry of the angels as when she took the fiercer blast that rescued from the flames the greasy note and blew it uncharred up the roaring chimney for the sudden waft of an angel's wing. But she came to meet them oftener in daily life, clothed in human form, though still they were rare indeed, and often, like the angel that revealed himself to Manoah, disappeared upon recognition. By and by it seemed certain that, if ever Hector had had anything of what the world counts success, it had now come to a pause. For a long time he wrote nothing that, had it been published, could have produced any impression like that of his first book. It seemed as if the first had forestalled the success of those that should follow— that had been of a new sort, and the so-called public, innocent little personification, was not yet grown ready for anything more of a similar kind, 
which indeed seemed to lack elements of attraction and interest, and the readers to whom the same man will tell even new things are apt to grow weary of his mode of saying, even though that mode have improved in directness and force. The tide of his small repute had already begun to take the other direction. Those who understood and prized his work, still holding by him, and declaring that they found in him what they found in no other writer, remained staunch in their friendship, and among them the little old lady who had at once welcomed his first poem to her heart, and whose name and position were now well known to Hector. But the reviewers, seeming to have forgotten their first favourable reception of him, now began to find nothing but faults in his work, pointing out only what they judged ill-contrived and worse executed in his conceptions, and that in a tone to convey the impression that he had somehow wheedled certain of them into their former friendly utterances concerning him. And about the same time, it so happened that business began to fall away rapidly from the bank of which his father held the chief country agency, so that he was no longer able to continue to hector his former subsidy, the announcement of which discouraging fact was accompanied by a lecture on the desirableness of a change in his choice of subject, as well as in his style. If he continued to write as he had been doing of late, no one would be left, his father said, to read what he wrote. And now it began to be evident what a happy thing it was for Hector that Annie was now at his side to help him. For as his courage sank, and he saw Annie begin to feel straitened in her housekeeping, he saw also how her courage arose and shone. But he grew more and more discouraged, until it was all that Annie could do to hold him back from despair. At length, however, she began to feel that possibly there might be some truth in what his father had written to him, and a new departure ought to be attempted. She could not herself believe that her husband was limited to any style or subject for the embodiment of his thoughts. He who had written so well in one fashion might write at least well, if not as well, in another. Had she not heard him say that verse was the best practice for writing prose? Gently, therefore, and cautiously she approached the matter with him, only to find at first, as she had expected, that he but recoiled from the suggestion with increase of discouragement. Still, taking no delight in obstinacy, and feeling the necessity of some fresh attempt grow daily more pressing, he turned his brains about, and sending them foraging, at length bethought him of a certain old highland legend with which, at one time, he had been a good deal taken, from the discovery in it of certain symbolical possibilities. This legend he proceeded to rewrite and remodel, doing his best endeavour to preserve in it the old Celtic aroma and aerial suggestion, while taking care neither to lose nor reproduce too manifestly its half-apparent, still-evanishing symbolism. Urged by fear and enfeebled by doubt, he wrote feverously, and after three days of laborious and unnatural toil, submitted the result to Annie, who was now his only representative of the outer world, and the only person for whose criticism he seemed now to care. She, greatly in doubt of her own judgment, submitted it to his friend, and together they agreed on this verdict, that, while it certainly proved he could write as well in prose as in verse, people would not be attracted by it, and that it would be found lacking in human interest. His friend saw in it also too much of the Celtic tendency to the mystical and allegorical, as distinguished from the factual and storial. Upon learning this their decision, 
Poor Hector fell once more into a state of great discouragement, not feeling in him the least power of adopting another way. There seemed to him but one mode, the way things came to him. And in this surely he was right, only might not things come or be sent to him in some other way? His friend suggested that he might, changing the outward occurrences, and the description of the persons to whom they happened, in such fashion that there could be no identification of them, tell the very tale of how Annie and he came to know and love each other, taking especial care to muffle up to shapelessness, or at least featurelessness, the part his mother had taken in their story. This seeming to Hector a thing possible, he took courage, and set about it at once, gathering interest as he proceeded, and writing faster and faster as he grew in hope of success. At the same time it was not favourable to the result that he felt constantly behind him the darkly lowering necessity that, urging him on, yet debilitated every motion of the generating spirit. It took him a long time to get the story into a condition that he dared to consider even passable, and the longer that he had not the delight that verse would have brought with it in the process of its production. Nevertheless, he would now and then come to a passage in writing which the old emotion would seem to revive, but in reading these, Annie, modest and doubtful, as she always was of her own judgment, especially where her husband's work was concerned, seemed to recognize a certain element of excitement that gave it a glow, or rather, glamour of unreality, or rather, unnaturalness, which affected her as inharmonious, therefore unfit or out of place. She thought it better, however, to say little or nothing of any such paragraph, and tried to regard it as of small significance, and probably carrying little influence in respect of the final judgment. The narrative, such as it might prove, was at length finished, and had been read, at least with pleasure and hope, by his friend, who was still the only critic on whose judgment he dared depend, for he could not help regarding Annie as prejudiced in his favour, although her approval continued for him absolutely essential. The sole portions to which his friend took any exception were the same concerning which Annie had already doubted, and which he found too poetical in their tone, not, he took care to say, in their meaning, for that could not be too poetical, but in their expression, which must impinge too sharply upon prosaic ears that cared only for the narrative, and would recoil from any reflection, however just in itself, that might be woven into it. But, alas, now came what Hector felt the last and final blow to the possibility of further endeavour in the way of literature— the bank to which Hector had been introduced by his father, and which he had been employed ever since, had of late found it necessary to look more closely to its outlay, and reduce its expenses. Therefore, believing that Hector had abundance of other resources, its managers decided on giving him notice, first of all, that they must in future deprive themselves of the pleasure of his services. And this announcement came at a time when Annie was already in no small difficulty to make the ends of her expenditure meet those of her income. In fact, she had no longer any income. For a considerable time she had, by the stinting of what had before that seemed necessities, been making a shilling to do the work of eighteen pence, and now she knew nothing beyond except to go without. But how allow Hector to go without? He must die if she did." Already he had begun to shrink in his clothes from lack of proper nourishment. 
a rumour reaching him of a certain post as librarian in the gift of an old corporation being vacant hector at once made application for it but only to receive the answer that pegasus must not be put in harness poor pegasus on a false pretence of respect must be kept out of the shafts his fat friends would not permit him to degrade himself earning his bread by work he could have done very well he must rather starve he tried for many posts one after the other heavier and heavier fell upon him each following disappointment annie had in her heart been greatly disappointed that no prospect appeared of a child to sanctify their union but for that she had learned more to console herself with the reflection that at least there was no such heavenly visitor for whose earthly sojourn to provide and now how gladly would she have laboured for the child in the hope that such a joy and companionship might lift him up out of his despondency then he would be able to enjoy and assimilate the poor food she was able to get for him it is true he always seemed quite content but then he would often she believed pretend not to be hungry and certainly ate less and less hitherto she had fought with all her might against running in debt to the tradespeople for more than all else she feared debt now at last however her resolution was in danger of giving way when happily hector bethought himself of his precious books to what better use could he put them than sell them to buy food wherein the books he had written had failed him parcel by parcel in a leather strap he carried them to the nearest second-hand bookseller where he had so often bought now he wanted to sell but unhappily he soon found that books like many other things are worth much less to the seller than to the buyer and where hector had calculated on pounds only shillings were forthcoming yet by their sale notwithstanding they managed to keep a little longer out of debt end of part 4 recording by hannah mary